Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, so delighted, so glad that you've decided to join us here on the New Southern Garden. Of course, it seems like it's been raining this week. (laughs) Yeah, we got a little sprinkle, but... It's really raining leaves. Isn't it a great time of year? You're just standing out amongst the trees. And of course, those leaves are falling all around. That's what somebody said. I was visiting a client's landscape this week and they said, Sorry, I'm getting distracted. It looks like it's raining leaves. I just love it. And I do too. I hope you're enjoying the change in the season. Of course, we're inching ever so closer to winter, and that means more cold weather. But, you know, here in the south, it's not terribly cold, is it? I've never lived up north, but we don't see much snow. We have freezing temperature, but it's not a deep freeze, usually. It's just perfect. Just perfect. And it's perfect weather conditions here in the south, in particular, to be growing almost anything like I've said before I think when God created the south he decided this would be the land of growing things because it stays warm enough that we can grow plants that don't like extreme winters and it gets cool enough that we can grow plants that actually need they need a bit of chill over winter to do their thing next year As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why we can't grow lilacs here in the South, we can grow the plant, but they don't bloom so well because they need so much cold weather, so many hours below a certain temperature in order to set buds. They call it vernalization. And the same is true with most fruit trees. Apples, peaches, pears, cherries. That's a big one there. Cherries in particular need a lot of cold weather, so we can grow cherry trees. We have some disease issues, that's for sure, but they need so much vernalization we just can't provide them that they never really bloom for us. And of course, without a bloom, you don't have a fruit. So when people ask me, of course, people come to me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens all the time, and they're asking for cherry trees, fruiting cherry trees they can actually grow. And... I like to say, well, you can grow the plant, but you may be discouraged because the plant, even though it can grow here, it's just not going to bloom well and fruit well. So we've got to be selective a bit, but the South is a wonderful place to grow things. And last week, if you joined us, uh, we talked about growing lavender in the South. 
I mentioned that I'm preparing a site for a lavender garden. Sort of has a, should have, will have a Mediterranean mood atmosphere. So we'll have some some tall uh, native, actually, varieties of junipers that climb, not the um, Italian cypress, but it will give us that look in this Mediterranean lavender garden. And we've got to, uh, we've got some special concerns, you know, for certain plants here in the South. It's not like we can just stick anything anywhere and it'll grow. We still may have to create some conditions for certain plants. Uh, And sort of in line with last week, we started talking about lavender. That's the entire show. But I thought maybe we should talk a bit about something we haven't really dedicated a whole program to, and that's growing herbs. Herbs have become very popular, uh, very popular to grow around uh, our area and in the south. Of course, they're very historic. We'll talk about some of the history of herbs today. But regardless, some of those can grow like a weed, and others we may need to have um, a bit of special environments. Now, if you've listened to to the program for any length of time, you can probably find out that I don't necessarily enjoy having to do a lot of extra work to keep a plant alive. My thing is, is if you put it in the right spot, you won't have to maintain it so much. And you'll have better success if it gets the right amount of light, the right amount of moisture, the right soil conditions, not too wet, not too dry, just right, like uh, Goldilocks and the bears, you know, the three bears. Got to get it just right. Not too wet, not too dry. <laughs> but regardless, I don't like to do a lot of effort. So there's plenty of herbs that don't require a lot of effort. Many of them can handle tough, dry conditions. Some of them, like we talked about lavender last week, can handle hot and dry, but they don't necessarily like the wet. So we got to keep that in mind for some of these herbs. But herbs have been used and they're making a resurgence. Uh, they're things you can grow on your patio in small containers or in big containers or in the ground in a big garden full of herbs. There's so many different ways that we can utilize herbs in the landscape. So I thought that we would just um, talk a little bit about uh, the history, what really an herb is, go through propagation of the herbs so we can have a good all-around view of these special plants. Of course, many herbs are used in cooking uh, to flavor food. We'll talk about the difference between herbs and spices. Uh, If there is one, of course, (laughs) humans have to uh, divide plants up into all kinds of groups. So they've divided herbs and spices into two groups. But regardless, if you've ever thought about growing herbs, well, this program will be for you because we'll talk about the ins and outs of it. And of course, if uh, I don't clarify something or, or maybe confuse you a bit, please let me know. You can always send us a message at... Um, NewSouthernGarden.com on the contact us page. You can also send us a message via Facebook and Instagram where you can also attach a picture or video if you want to do a walkthrough of your landscape, show us some of the problems, but I'd also love to hear about some of your success stories because at the end of the month, we will go to the mailbox, go to the mailbag, and we will be answering your questions. I loved it. One time we had a lady who sent us a video of her landscape, and I was able to play the audio for you and sort of describe what we were looking at. So it's great to hear from you, Uh, and you can check us out online, NewSouthernGarden.com, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, if you miss this program (laughs) this morning, uh, it will be replayed in the 
evening at 8 p.m. right here on WRWH 93.9 FM, as well as you can find all of our shows on the website, NewSouthernGarden.com. You can find them all there uh, from the history. I think we're up to 170. We're pushing, well, we're over 180. And 80. We're over 180. So you've got plenty of hours this winter to catch up if you've just found the show. And uh, you can listen to them on your way to work or pop us in your earbuds. I'd love to be in your ear while you're in your landscape gardening. All right, so let's talk about some herbs. Herbs, herbs, they're very historic. As a matter of fact, they're prehistoric. Since prehistoric times, herbs have been used for both food and medicinal purposes. Now, today, of course, we sort of just group them into uh, contributing to a good life, to good living. We use herbs to season food. You throw a, a sprig of rosemary on a chicken breast and bake it or grill it. It can add so much flavor. Of course, they add very nice fragrances. You can use them as potpourri in your home. We talked about la- using lavender in that way last week. So they can help sm- make things smell better. <laughs> And of course, from the landscape perspective, they can add so much interest and so much beauty to the garden. Not only are there, is their foliage nice to look at, many of them will flower at some point in their life, providing you with all different shapes of flowers and colors of flowers. And of course, isn't it great to be walking through the landscape and brush your hands against some leaves and just rip? release those oils that smell so nice. We've got some great lavender pots at the nursery, and uh, I just can't help every time I walk by the table to just tickle their leaves and smell the beautiful aroma. But of course, uh, from the medicinal side, we're not going to talk about treating yourself. I'm not a doctor by any means, but we do know uh, that many modern medicines include chemicals that come from plants. Sometimes they're naturally derived out of the plant, they're extracted, or they're synthesized. So they're creating in a lab a compound that looks very much like what would come straight out of a plant. And there's a growing research, uh, growing field of research now where science, scientists are looking back at uh, herbal folk remedies to, not remedies, remedies, to see if there's anything to them. So, of course, that historic significance kind of encourages us as gardeners and growers to collect herbs and uh, research those traditional gardens from old. So there's a lot of history behind many of these herbs. And, of course, gardeners are also looking for those foreign cuisines, 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 lean cuisine, lean cuisine, Cuisine. I don't know how to say it, but they're looking for that flavor, that exotic flavor from around the world. Maybe you've traveled and they're using French tarragon or cilantro south of the border below us and uh, Mexico and parts of the uh, South America. We look for that flavor, for that taste. So we're looking to achieve those special tastes by using herbs. Now, Growing herbs is rewarding, just like growing anything. I think they're very re- rewarding, whether you're growing annual herbs that you've got to replant year after year. They flush out, maybe even flower, produce seed for you that same year so you can collect the seed and then reuse it in the landscape next year. Or maybe you're growing perennial herbs, many herbs like thyme, uh, oregano, lavender, rosemary. These are all chives. We can group chives into this uh, herbal category. Anyhow, we can group these herbs into either annuals or perennials. So there's always a space and always a place to use herbs in your landscape. Now, in the United States, we can grow a wide variety in most parts of, uh, of the states. We can grow a wide variety of herbs. 
Um, we're going to talk about, of course, those that grow well in the Deep South with this hot, humid summer and sort of up and down winter temperatures. So I guess we should start off by saying, what is an herb? What are herbs? And we'll talk later, how do we say it? Do we say it herbs or herbs? I've got a great story for you on that. Um, but in a broad sense, we would say that herbs are plants with soft-stemmed uh, green growth. All right, so generally, we, we don't consider shrubs herbs. However, there is a case where we could say rosemary is definitely a woody subshrub as well as lavender. They both produce this great flush of green, soft-stemmed wood growth, but then over time, it hardens up. So in order to keep that uh, tenderness about rosemary and lavender in particular, it does go with some trimming. And of course, many herbs are at their best when they are trimmed well and frequently used. But of course, now, what then, we talked about spices. So are herbs spices? Well, generally speaking, we would say that herbs come from the stems and leaves of a plant, that green growth, whereas spices, they usually come from roots, which are probably dried, seeds, which are dried, and even bark, which is dried, like cinnamon. So those would be sort of, I mean, it's a fine line, folks. It really is a fine line between the difference between herbs and spices. But generally speaking, we're going to use green wood, leaves and stems, to produce herbs. And then spices come from the barky, dry parts of a plant, like seeds, roots, and barks. Now, like I mentioned, there are some plants that do have those woody stems, lavender, rosemary, uh, lemon verbena, and they're still grouped together together. Um, because we're using the green growth, the leaves and the stems in particular. Now, before we get to this break, what about the difference in the saying? How do you say the word? Is it herb or is it herb? Well, I'm going to give you a story real fast. I went to see some folks um, at their landscape. Their name is Herb. But every time I said their name, I said herb. And they looked at me funny. So those folks are not herbs. Those folks are the herbs. The funny part was their name was Rosemary and Thyme. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But there is some history. There is some history to where the term herb or herb came from. And it comes really uh, from a very long time ago, as far back as the 15th century. So we've got to take this quick break. But when we get back, I'm going to clarify how we should say that word, H-E-R-B. Is it herb or is it herb? When we get back, more on herbs in your landscape. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, this morning, of course, Eden Rose is encouraging us all to grow more herbs in our landscape. Before the break, I was gonna I was telling you that I would explain how we actually say that word. Is it herb or is it herb? Well, there are many different reasons for, for why we might pronounce it differently. Now the first time we see this word to refer to these kinds of soft stem green plants that we collect for either medicinal or culinary purposes. It, when we first see it, it was spelled E-R-B, so it would be herb. But then in the 15th century, the spelling was altered. They added an H to the front, so now we spell it H-E-R-B. Now, if we were to uh, travel to Britain and part of the Commonwealth nations, our English-speaking cousins would pronounce, usually, the H, the herb. They would say herb. And I've watched a lot of British gardening shows, and every time that word comes up, they say herb. But the folks speaking with a London Cockney dialect, they tend to drop the H in many of their words. (laughs) So, even in Britain, you have people saying it herb and herb. But in the United States, except in New England, the word is usually pronounced her, her, herb, E-R-B, herb, which sort of imitates the way the French pronunciation might be. Now, here's the reality. Either pronunciation is correct. So there's no debate anymore. It's herb or it's herb. But I usually say herb, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Speaking of herbs... Um, They go way back. I've already mentioned that. But there are plenty of texts that support that statement. statement. The Chinese, uh, Emperor Xin uh, Nung Nung, Nung, in 2700 B.C. had basically an encyclopedia. And then, of course, 2500 B.C., the Egyptians had them as well. I'm sorry, the Sumerians had them on clay tablets. Then the Egyptians, about 2000 B.C., were talking about them on papyrus. And then finally, the Greek. The Greek really get things going because they continue to write about uh, using herbs, particularly for medicinal value. But they do that all the way through the first century AD and then into the Middle Ages through Europe. And then monks even caught on and they started talking. They became the custodians of herbal knowledge. And Anglo-Saxons, in 1597, there was a gentleman named John Gerard, and he had a book, Herbal. Herbal, that was the name of the book, in 1597. It was basically an encyclopedia of herbs that were grouped according to their usage. And then 1652 comes around, and Nicholas Culpepper, he wrote a book called The English Physician, which was a volume that went through many printings and was brought over to North America by the settlers. So there's a lot of writing, historical texts, but in the modern world, there are even more, and there are numerous books on herbs. 
that are available. So be sure, if you're interested in herbs, to start learning, to start reading and finding some great literature on their culture. Speaking of their culture, now it's time for us to actually talk about how to grow these babies in our landscape. Generally, herbs are going to do well in average soil. It doesn't have to be too fertile, but it shouldn't be too infertile either. Now, last week we talked about lavender. We sort of abuse it. Uh, Lavender can handle dry, rocky clay soils. Rosemary is very similar. Uh, But like many garden plants, most herbs are going to definitely want well-drained soil. If you have a loamy soil, which is fluffed up with a beautiful organic matter, that's just fine. But they can also grow into sandy soil as well. Now, the pH for herbs is fairly high, okay? Our pH here tends to be lower than herbs just love, but if your soil pH is starting about six herbs for general purposes, should grow well, but they can also grow up towards uh, 7.5 on the pH pH scale, so just slightly basic. And we did mention that with lavender, um, lavender and rosemary in particular, we should say, again, they prefer a very sweet soil, uh, slightly more alkaline than most, so definitely around the 7.5. And in many cases, you may need to add dolomitic lime to sweeten your soils. Dolomitic lime will help to raise the pH just slightly higher than our acidic soil. A general recommendation might be 10 to 20 pounds of dolomitic lime per 100 square feet, but it is always a good idea to send your soil off to the uh, county extension agent. Be sure to let them know you're growing herbs or herbs. <laughs> and when they send you a report back, they will also give you recommendations on what you may need to add regarding lime and how much of it, uh, fertilizer and how much of it for your crops. Now, if you want to get specific and say lavender or oregano or thyme or rosemary, you can do that. Uh, But then you will have a soil test report that is catered to that site for that crop. The soil testing uh, resources we have through the University of Georgia and our cooperative extension offices, our county agents offices, is really a blessing because they can get us as close to Uh, our condition that is needed for our crop as possible. It just takes the guesswork out of it. Now, there are a group of, I like to group herbs into two main groups. We've got our Mediterranean style herbs and our tropical style herbs. So of course, our Mediterranean style herbs, we've already reiterated uh, things like thyme and lavender and rosemary, but the tropical herbs are those plants uh, that they like it hot Mediterranean plants like it hot, but tropical plants like it more moist. So Mediterranean herbs are going to need the heat, but they're also going to need fairly dry conditions, not too moist, not too humid. Then the tropical herbs are really easier to grow, if I have to put a a name to it, because the tropical herbs are more situated to our subtropical environment. We have high humidity, we have lots of moisture, and we have the heat. So things like basil and chives and parsley, they may require uh, more fertilization if you're harvesting these things um, greatly. Anything, anytime you're harvesting from a plant regularly or heavily, we do want to fertilize it well. 
But of course, these basils and parsleys, they're used to sort of this tropical woodland, high fertility. So they just generally may need more fertilizer than those Mediterranean crops like lavender and rosemary. Now, many herbs can be perennial. Lavender, rosemary, basil is not. Chives are. Oh, let's see. Well, uh, the cilantro is sort of an annual Parsley tends to return until it flowers, so there's many situations where herbs will be planted in the landscape, and they will stay there for a long time. So we want to make sure that we are preparing the soil as well as possible. We want to till the soil. We want to add that organic matter, whether it's rotted manure and rotted compost, And, of course, we'd want to be sure that we are breaking up any large clods of clay. Of course, here in the Piedmont, we've got those clay-based soils that can be so heavy. Work in that organic matter as deep as you can. If you can dig down 12 inches or more, you're going to have a great um, herbal bed. Now, raised beds can help take away some of that hard cultivation Most gardeners agree that raised beds help herbs flourish. First of all, there's great drainage. The soil temperature may stay warmer because they're above the ground and they're just getting all sides, like a container in the summer. They're getting light and sunlight, that warmth from the sunlight in all directions. And so the soil stays a bit warmer and that helps to push growth. And of course, um, if you have a poor soil, you can grow on top of it in a raised bed and you can mix in things or compost directly in the raised bed. A raised bed could be made up of anything, folks. It could be a rock wall. It could be landscape timber or railroad ties, uh, any kind of border. If you can get four to six inches of a border above the ground, you can have a raised bed. And really, it may just perform better. Things that are raised just seem to perform better, probably because they're not stuck in our wet soils. But when we get back from this break, there's a few other concerns and some special conditions that you can give certain herbs. So hang on tight. We'll be right back with more. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, here we are for the second half of today's program. We've been talking all things herbs. That's right. Those are those plants that we generally are growing because they smell great. They taste great. We use them in cooking. Uh, We like to keep nice, soft, tender, green growth on them so we can harvest that and use them in the kitchen. Many of these herbs will return year after year. Many of them are propagated from seed pretty readily. Cuttings. We're going to get into propagation uh, probably later today. May have to make this a two-part class <laughs> because there's a lot when it comes to herbs. There's a lot of things, and there's so many different varieties and so many different kinds. 
then I think today we'll talk about general uh, topics and then maybe next week or if we have some time tonight or this afternoon at the end of the program we'll be able to uh, talk some specifics take some of our favorite herbs and talk about whatever they need uh, more specifically so before the break we were talking about how you can really provide your perennial herbs in particular with a great bet they're going to be if they're perennial they're going to last for several years to come hopefully decades when it comes to things like rosemary and so providing them with a wonderful planting space making sure you cultivate the soil soften the soil as deep as you can work in two inches or more of well-rotted compost uh, leaf litter manures That'll help to enrich in the soil because these are essentially perennial plants. So it's 100%, 100% appropriate to cultivate and amend the soils around herbs. You can grow them in raised beds. We'll talk about growing them in containers a little later. Um, but once you've planted your herbs, you probably want to consider mulching them, just like anything else that we plant here in the South. We want to consider using shredded bark or wood chips, pine straw. You could use stone and gravel, not my favorite choice, but actually with certain shrubs, shrubs, certain herbs like lavender and rosemary, which are very Mediterranean, they actually don't need a lot of extra soil moisture. It's okay if they sort of dry out in between rains. So we don't want to pile up the mulch as we mentioned last week about lavender we don't want to pile up the mulch when it comes to lavender and rosemary some of the mediterranean things we also don't want to keep our soil exposed because of course that can cause erosion in our clay soils so a good alternative may be to use a light layer of pine straw a light layer of mulch uh, or you could use the stone and gravel around those mediterranean plants now special conditions for certain herbs there are certain herbs that don't have to be grown in full sun and there are certain herbs that can handle moist to almost wet soil and then of course there are herbs that can handle quite dry soil so even though we've talked generally about herbs there are some herbs that can grow in sort of a semi-shade situation Bay is a good good one for semi-shade can have large leaves and it can produce uh, foliage even in little bit of shade now when we say semi-shade i guess i should clarify we're talking about uh five hours of sun give or take and then shade the rest of the day uh maybe four hours of direct sun in the afternoon but shade in the morning that could be considered probably semi-shade comfrey is another good one that can sort of grow under shade uh let's see lemon balm that's a pretty popular one and any of the mints if you've ever grown any kind of mint you know it doesn't really matter where it is. We actually have some mint plants that were planted in the ground on the north side of the office at the nursery. And they've sort of started to take over, but being on the north side, the house actually shades those plants pretty much all day long. They rarely get direct sunlight because there's even trees on the east side uh, where the morning sun would rise. So these mints are still going crazy. Great for semi-shade. And then parsley. I like to say that parsley is semi-shade because it, it works well in a container on a, on a patio. You know, many of our patios are shady because we want to have some shade when we're sitting outside uh, to, to take a break from the heat of the sun. Uh, 
And so if you need something that is under a shady patio, think about parsley or sweet woodruff. Sweet woodruff, not as common, but a very beautiful plant. Now, if you tend to have moist soils, if your soils, we're not talking about bog plants, okay? Moist means that they drain well, but they tend to just have fairly constant moisture. Maybe this is on a bed where your AC unit drains, right? So that AC unit is dripping into this bed. And so it naturally, because, well, not naturally, but because of the AC unit, it's getting extra water. So as long as that area is not standing in water all the time, you could grow things like Monarda, comfrey, again, comfrey and parsley and mint, very versatile with the comfrey, mint, and parsley. I'll also mention that comfrey, very herbaceous plant, uh, it dies down to the ground every year and comes back in the spring and then it flowers, these great little uh, blue and pink flowers. But the comfrey is actually used as a fertilizer. So if you gather a whole bunch of comfrey foliage, stick it in a five-gallon bucket, and then fill and kind of pack them in there, and then fill that water, uh, rather fill the bucket up with water, you let it sit and sort of ferment in a way. And in just a matter of a week or so, uh, don't put do this in the house because in a matter of a week, you will have the most horrid, hard, horrid-smelling thing you've ever had. But... It's very rich in nutrients for your plants. And you can use that liquid, dilute it to about um, uh, maybe one part, depending on how much you want to feed, one part to uh, 10 parts water, or even a little stronger. Put that in half and use five parts water. Uh, but regardless, that comfrey compost tea, if you will, it's going to smell terrible, but I'll tell you, it's a great natural way to get some nutrition to your plants, and you can use it in place of miracle Grow, uh, all the blue stuff, right, those things that you have to mix up, those are just salts anyways. This is a great organic liquid feed for plants. So that's moist soil. Then you can go into dry soil. Dry soil areas, of course, we've talked about lavender and rosemary. Once they're established, they're pretty good in a dry soil situation because they don't like extra moisture. Um, Artemisia, that's wormwood. Now, Artemisia, I like to use it in the landscape. It's a beautiful, ashy, gray plant uh, with these highly dissected, kind of fringy leaves. Uh, borage, borage is a beautiful plant in my perspective just from the, the foliage and the uh, bloom, little true blue flowers and they're sort of bell shaped great pollinator plant too now fennel can handle dry soil so of course fennel is one of those plants we'll probably get into specifics of later but it's uh, fairly perennial in most areas around the south and it will bloom after its second year so it's sort of a biennial like the dills let's see santalina Wonderful landscape plant, by the way. Beautiful, usually yellow flowers, maybe white. Uh, but they can handle dry soil. Very Mediterranean plant, that's for sure. Sage. Most folks like to use sage. We're coming on Thanksgiving. My grandmother would always use dry sage uh, for her chicken and dressing. Mm. I wish she was still around. It'd be a great thing to have right now. Really, to have her around would be a, more amazing. And yarrow and thyme. Thyme is quite drought tolerant once it's established. The creeping thymes can be placed along the edge of pathways. They'll fill in between uh, patio stones and they can dry out with no problem. Yarrow is a great plant that is um, a good pollinator plant, beautiful in the landscape. And of course, yarrow historically was, was probably one of the first potpourris because back in the day when folks had uh, uh, 
dirt floors, we're talking like Greek and Romans would use these, uh, they would harvest yarrow and they would sprinkle the yarrow foliage on their floor in the house, those dirt floors. And then as people walked across them with their feet, they would crush the leaves and those oils would be released and they would sort of be uh, airwick for your home, <laughs> right? It wasn't in a can, it was in a plant form. But here's the interesting thing, I guess the rest of the story is that the word for yarrow, its botanical name, is Achillea, like Achilles, like Achilles' tendon at your foot. Of course, that goes even further back to Achilles the uh, god, right? And so all of that comes from crushing the leaves with your foot, and they name that plant Achillea. So yarrow is a wonderful pollinator, wonderful plant, and can handle more dry soil once it's established. So we've sort of talked about those special conditions that certain herbs can handle. We've talked about how we can uh, install them by creating these wonderful beds for them. We all want to make sure it's well-drained. Whether you're doing uh, basil or whether you're doing yarrow uh, or thyme, even though basil can handle the humidity, we want to make sure their roots don't stay too wet. So now we need to talk about propagation. Propagation, of course, is making more plants, right? Making plants for free, having free plants. Everybody wants free plants, and you can grow herbs yourself, but you may start uh, by going to your local plant nursery, garden center, and finding some plants that are already growing, already robust. You can pop them in your landscape. And once you have a taste of those, then you can use stem cuttings. You can divide them. Uh, you can layer them. We'll talk about that in a second. But, of course, the first place we start when it comes to herbs is from seed. Uh, if you already have some plants that have created seed pods, you can collect those seeds year after year and increase your supply. So seeds or, or seeding your herbs is a wonderful way to go. Now, you could direct sow them in the spring after the danger of frost has passed, just like you could squash plants, tomato plants, pepper plants. But we do see some even more success when we start them indoors. We want to start them indoors in late winter, four to six weeks usually before the last frost, which for our area is around the middle of April. And of course, uh, starting indoors, we would fill our containers. We would uh, make sure we firm the surface up. And if you have a large seed like cilantro. Cilantro, or the seed, we usually call coriander, uh, but if you plant a cilantro seed, it's quite large, and you can generally plant um, seeds about two times the depth of their height. So in other words, if the seed's a half an inch, which is a really large seed, but <laughs> to make the math easy, you can plant it an inch deep. But if it's about a quarter of an inch, that's about a half inch deep. Now, for really small seeds... Usually, small, tiny seeds don't ever get pushed below the ground, so we can just sprinkle them on top, firm them into the, the potting mix, and maybe barely cover them. You may want to do some research because, depending on what you're growing, some seeds do need light to germinate. And if we bury them too deeply or cover them too much with our growing media then they may not perform well. They may not germinate. So with small seeds, you can just sprinkle them on top and pat them down and keep them moist. Now, of course, if you're growing these indoors, you need to add some light. You could use a sunny window. doesn't have to be direct sunlight, though. Uh, you can also use a fluorescent light or a grow light. And then as we start to get to the frost-free date, right, the middle of April or so, you can start to harden those seedlings off. 
You can basically set them outside for a few hours, maybe under a shade, under a tree, bring them back in, and increase the amount of time that they're outside and in direct sun uh, daily for several days, and you will find that they will be tough enough to be planted in the landscape. But again, you've got to make sure you do all this after our frosts have passed. Passed. Now, cuttings. Cuttings is a great way to propagate a plant because if you've grown some from seeds and you found that one plant just tastes better than another, well, that's no problem because you can propagate a seed. Uh, you can propagate a seed-grown plant by cutting, making some stem cuttings, and you can have a genetic clone. Essentially, any attribute the plant has—leaf color, flower color, taste, flavor—it's going to taste just like its mother. So seedlings, of course, they don't come true to type all the time, but cuttings do. And when we get back from this break, we'll talk about more ways to propagate your herbs. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Of course, that's Eden Rose, my little three-year-old girl who loves flowers and plants. And this morning, she's encouraging us to give propagating herbs a grow, a go. Give it a grow. Give it a go. Because herbs are easy to grow. We've already been talking about how to install them, the kind of conditions they need. Uh, we may have to alter the soil's pH a little bit just so they perform better, but. Once you get them going and growing, many of them are drought tolerant. They don't need extra help. Uh, But for the ones that do, well, they're worth it. They're worth it. So, of course, before the break, we were talking about different ways to propagate your herbs. Now, the first place to go may be to buy some packs of seeds. There's great selection, of course, at Baker Creek Seeds, Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. That's rareseeds.com. They're not a sponsor or anything. I just like their seeds. I bought some lavender seeds just the, the past, over the past month. Get ready for spring in that uh, lavender garden I've been telling you about. I hope I'm successful at it. <laughs> but you can also find them at uh, garden centers, box stores, wherever. If you come across a rack of seeds, just look for those that are listed as herbs and give them a go. So when you are propagating from seed, you never know what you're going to get. You may have a plant that's big and robust and one that's just sort of small and dwarf and one may taste better than another because seeds are like people. Uh, they're the children of plants and no child is the same, right? We, we may have the same parents even, but unless you're an identical twin, right? Unless you're an identical twin, you generally aren't going to look just like your brothers and sisters. And that goes with seeds as well. But when it comes to cuttings and other ways to propagate without seed, 
uh, they will be essentially genetic clones. So this is wonderful if you happen to find an herb that just tastes wonderful, you love that plant, but you want more of them, well, you may try cuttings. When you're making cuttings of herbs, you can definitely do this with lavender and rosemary, scented geraniums, lemon balm, uh, French tarragon. As a matter of fact, French tarragon can't really be propagated any other way than through cuttings. So you do want to, in the spring or summer, cut about uh, three, let's say four to six inches of new growth. And you want to make sure there are uh, at least two nodes or more. Now, nodes are those points on a plant where leaves come forth. So as long as you have um, a set of two or more leaves, you should have a big enough cutting. And you want to make a, the final cut at the base just below a node because where those leaves form to the stem, that is where roots are more likely to come out. You remove those lower leaves, dip the end in some rooting compound, and you can insert uh, just past that first node into a, a potting medium of some sort. It could be perlite. It could just be really potting soil for herbs. They're not too picky. It could be sand even. Many things can root well in straight sand, but that medium should stay slightly warm and you need to mist your cuttings. You need to mist your cuttings and if you're propagating in just a small pot, you can drape plastic over it. If you open up a Ziploc bag and lower the opening over it, you've sort of made a greenhouse, if that makes sense. But usually between three to six weeks, I know lavender can be quite fast. 14 days, we've got roots on lavender. So say three to six weeks, you should have some rooted cuttings and uh, you can sort of harden those off. You don't want to plant them directly. If you've been doing this indoors in particular, you don't want to throw them directly in the garden. They may have a bit of shock. But cuttings is a wonderful way to go, and it, it takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of work. But if you have herbs that form clumps, all right, lavender sort of shrubby, rosemary sort of shrubby, thyme to some degree shrubby, but you can also divide plants that are in clumps. So chives, no problem at all. Uh, I'm thinking, what's another good example? Well, anyhow, if, you're, if your herb is nice and clump forming, you can pop those out of the ground, cut them with a serrated knife, or you can literally, if it's a large clump, use a shovel or a spade, and you can divide it in half. If it's large enough, you can divide it five ways, ten ways. As long as you have a root portion attached to a shoot portion, you should find some really good success with dividing. Once you split the mass, you replant those divisions. You want to water them well after you've transplanted them, making sure that the soil is soft and we can get good root-to-soil contact so they can reestablish quickly. Uh, usually, herbs that do form clumps, they benefit from being dug up and divided, as with many perennials in general. We divide a lot of things at the nursery. Of course, you can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, throughout the week. But there, we do divide a lot of plants, and we get so many of them. You know, I mean, that's the point of a nursery, after all. But division is a cheap and fairly easy way. Uh, you can find some great success to uh, multiply the number of plants. Now, the last little... Um, propagation technique I want to mention is layering, plant layering. What you basically do is you bend a portion of a stem so that it contacts the soil. I like to dig a little cat hole, maybe three, four inches deep, and 
push a long branch that's coming off of, say, uh, rosemary or lavender, push that into the soil, cover it up, and pin it down. You could use a rock on top of it. Uh, You could pin it with a landscape staple. But the idea is you want that bare stem that's sort of dipped into the soil to make good soil contact because that will stimulate the plant to start generating roots where it touches the soil. Now, if you do that in the spring or summer, most likely you will have a plant that's ready to go by the end of summer. And you can separate that from the mother and dig out the rooted portion and you've got a brand new plant. But you can do it in late summer. You may just have to wait a little bit. You may have to wait over winter, uh, following spring, maybe as we're pushing to the end of spring, it it may be rooted in by then. You can actually propagate many shrubs this way. Uh, Generally, for a shrub, landscape shrub, it may take about a year before you would think about removing it. Uh, But a layered plant is a wonderful, you don't get as many Uh, as you could with cuttings because you can take the cuttings of 50 tips, but you may not have 50 branches low enough to the ground. But it is an easy way if you just need a small number of plants to add to your herbal garden. So in summary, let me give you the common methods of propagation on certain annual and perennial herbs. First of all, annuals Annual herbs that we would grow from seed might include basil, borage, uh, cilantro or coriander, and dill and parsley. Now, uh, parsley in particular is biennial, so we sort of treat it like an annual, but we did group it there. All of those plants can easily be grown from seed, and you may have to do so year after year. Um, Let's see, perennials. So perennials that you can grow from seed pretty well, easily, is fennel, thyme, savory, Hyssop, didn't mention that one earlier. Marjoram, um, those are all great perennials. So come back year after year, but you can give them a start by starting with uh, seeds. And then perennials that you can make from cuttings. I've already mentioned lavender. I've mentioned rosemary, but you can do it with rue and sages, the santalinas, the French tarragon, of course, winter savory, uh, and artemisia. Those are wonderful plants to grow. Uh, from cuttings that are perennials. They come back year after year. Now, here's my list. Here's some great perennials that you can, perennial herbs that you can divide to make more of them. They include chives, uh, lemon balm, mints, sorrel, tansy. Oh, I didn't even think about tansy. But anyhow, these are some wonderful plants that you can add to your herb garden. Next week, we're going to talk more specifically about individual herbs. So for WRWH and 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. Give it a go. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 